0: all the feels on this one. Because that's what the science says. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. Let's talk about what this looks like in real life. Facts do not have opinions.
1: And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health.
0: Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Science is true, whether or not you believe in it. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View, episode 482. I am excited to talk about pain management, specifically some natural pain management, and why that might be in your best interest for health. Uh, But I happen to have peeked ahead at the notes, made some notes myself. And I also know that we're going to talk about this from like a realistic perspective because medicine can be magical and important when needed.
1: For sure. I feel like this question is very thematic every time I teach the AIP lecture series. And because of that, I, I just, I'm really excited to be able to create a resource out of this podcast episode for anybody who deals with whether it's occasional pain, right? The occasional headache or chronic pain, because I think that often it can feel like the, the strategies that we have access to are really limiting and not effective enough. And so this can really be either an addition to like medication that your doctor might prescribe Or for a lot of people, it can actually substitute. And that can be really helpful too.
0: Absolutely. And I guess it's a good time to remind people we are not medical professionals. We can neither diagnose nor recommend a treatment for you. So I definitely want to encourage you to talk to a medical professional. Sarah and I are each going to share our own personal stories in this show. But please know we did not self-diagnose ourselves or self-medicate ourselves. We're working with a medical professional. And when we share... Our own experience, we hope it helps you, but that is not in lieu of talking to a professional. For sure. So why don't I read Nicole's question, Stacy, fun fact. This
1: is Nicole, my social media manager, Nicole.
0: <laughs> Listen, that's the best way in to get a question is, is either to be part of our Patreon and submit your question that way. Um, Shout out to our Patreons, by the way, we just did a and a last week, so if you want to go... Check that out. It was fun and is available for you, but also being on our team because this is the second one in like a month or two that's submitted by one of us. So,
1: yep. Uh, these are always my favorite, actually. So Nicole wrote, Hi, Dr. Sarah and Stacy. My question is, how to begin with AIP without NSAIDs? I understand why removing them is critical, to recognize what foods and lifestyle components may drive inflammation. However, osteoarthritis is in both knees, with the right one being bone on bone and in the cervical area, again, with the right side being worse. Generally, I use Aleve for pain, and if I don't have to travel or go into the office, I either don't use it or use one instead. But with job sites reopening, I've had to use them more frequently, and I have a bit of travel for my job, too. Oh, I'll also mention that at one point, my CRP was 41, and at last test a couple of years ago, it was down to 19. So I'm open to any suggestions on how to better manage the health challenges so I can begin AIP properly. Thanks so much.
0: I think we definitely have some strategies that we can help Nicole with. I do also want to mention that Nicole has shared some other things with us, for example, supplements she's taking or lifestyle factors that she's working on. We're going to talk about ways that we can manage pain specifically, but we're not going to go full in detail on like the stress cycle of your body, which we've had a podcast on before, or different kinds of things that also play into pain. So I just... I don't want to like lose sight of all of those things. All of that obviously factors in, but because really what we're talking about is how do we address the pain so that we can optimize for healing, that's what we're going to focus on. Maybe, Sarah, you could also lead us into why NSAIDs in particular are uh, recommended to be avoided on the AIP if possible, but obviously not against doctors. <laughs> um I don't, I don't think it's a recommendation prescription or I I don't know exactly the right word, but, um, work with a doctor to wean off of them if you can, is I think the, the words I'm looking for. Yeah. And I think it's helpful
1: to recognize that there are, are situations where NSAIDs are therapeutic. And so if that's the case, for example, if you are using them as blood thinners, like a, taking a baby aspirin every day for a condition, there are some autoimmune diseases like antiphospholipid syndrome where that is suggested to prevent blood clots, which can be life threatening. So, if that is the case, this is this is not this is not the goal for you. Or, I definitely recommend talking to your doctor to see if there's other. Um, you know, anticoagulants that might be a better fit for you if if you want to get off NSAIDs. But let's like first acknowledge that medication is not failure. There are reasons why um, NSAIDs can be um, can be a barrier to to fully healing, especially the gut, uh, which is a, a primary tenet of the autoimmune protocol. But we also want to recognize that there is always a time and a place for every medication. So again we're not medical professionals, please talk to your doctor. But here is the science behind how NZs work and can potentially cause uh, undesirable side effects is really what this falls under. So they have their both their anti-inflammatory properties and their analgesic properties, right? So their pain relieving properties come out of the inhibition of a particular enzyme called cyclooxygenase. Cyclooxygenase has at least three different isoforms. So there's cyclooxygenase one, cyclooxygenase two, and cyclooxygenase three has recently been identified in the brain. And most NSAIDs uh, that you can get over the counter, like Aleve, Advil, Mydol, um, right? So these are ibuprofen and naproxen brands. They block both cyclooxygenase one and cyclooxygenase two, and that's really important. There are some prescription NSAIDs that uh, only block one or the other, um, and we're definitely going to be talking about that. But what happens when you block both cyclooxygenase 1 and cyclooxygenase 2 is some uh, problematic things. So cyclooxygenase 1 is really important for maintaining the integrity of the gut mucus layer. So blocking it has all of these additional not great effects on the health of the gut barrier. There's also these additional impacts of NSAIDs. So for example, they activate mast cells in the gut, which then downregulate proteins that are important for maintaining gut barrier integrity. So specifically, the cells that form our gut barrier are joined by a type of uh, protein interaction structure called a tight junction. And there's various tight junction proteins that NSAIDs are known to both have a direct effect on and have an effect through mast cell activation, both of them reducing how much of the protein is in that area of the cell. So it it basically weakens the, the join between cells that form the gut barrier, and that increases intestinal permeability then there's other effects. So NSAIDs can also cause changes in blood flow in the capillaries that supply the tissues of the gut. That can have a negative impact on gut barrier health. And there's also some um, interesting... So we know that um, chronic use of of NSAIDs especially can increase risk of ulcers and hemorrhage and uh, perforation of the intestines. And that seems to be through both this impact on gut barrier health, but also um, there's some changes to a type of signaling molecule called leukotrienes that are caused by NSAID use that actually ends up, it's called uh, leukocyte recruitment. So what it means is it is actually getting white blood cells to leave our bloodstream and go into the tissues of the gut. And that's actually been shown to be part of the mechanisms behind the formation of these like these would be adverse events from NSAID use, right? Like an ulcer or or hemorrhage. So recognizing that there are like legit important reasons why NSAIDs may be very, very helpful. um, There's, uh, you know, there are these gastrointestinal side effects, which are indicators of harm to gut health. And that is why on the autoimmune protocol, if they can be avoided, um, again, with doctors uh, sign off on that, it is uh, better for healing overall.
0: I will say any doctor that I've had, when I tell them I have an autoimmune disease and I'd like to avoid an NSAID when we're talking medication and that kind of stuff, like they know what that means. And they yeah. can, well, at least with me and the issues that I had, were able to kind of work around that. And like you said, that's not always the case, but it's not going to be out of left field for them to hear I have an autoimmune disease, I'd like to avoid an NSAID if possible. Like when I've said that to any medical professional, they're like, ah, yes, okay. (laughs) Like they immediately know what that means because it has the potential to create all of these things that you're talking about. And I mean, how many times have we talked about how important gut health is, right? So being tied to activating that tight junction, loosening and different things getting in there. Like that's going to be a hard pass for me if I can. But I also, you know, sometimes you need to, for example, with Nicole, she's already on the NZ. So it's a matter of like, transitioning off versus if we're asking the question of like I've been on AIP for a while I just injured myself or I got a migraine like what could I do and I know we're gonna kind of address both but I think you know if I were Nicole I would be working towards you know reducing that but not expecting myself to just like oh I'm gonna stop taking this today because that's not gonna be very positive that's gonna create a lot of other kinds of stress which is not good for your body um one of the things that I think is really good for reducing your stress, whether it be from, you know, chronic pain or otherwise, and one of the best ways to heal your body and allow your body to heal, is to sleep. And it's free. It's like this. It's <laughs> yeah. like this free medicine that I have not been taking advantage of my whole life. So, Sarah, why don't you walk us through um, the science of of sleep? with pain cuz I know from personal experience it's a game changer.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, this is so the science on this is so cool because they have so many different ways of measuring pain tolerance. So there's like the ice ice bowl of where you uh, immerse your hand into a bowl full of ice water and you basically hold it there until you can't stand it anymore. They have different versions where they use heat um, and so like uh, you put your hand on a plate and the plate will get hotter and hotter and hotter and basically when you remove your hand because it hurts they measure that amount of time. So there's all different kinds of ways that they measure this but it's actually really well understood That when we're not getting enough sleep, it has what's called a hyperalgesic effect, which basically means it increases pain sensation. Uh, The flip side of it, getting uh, what they call recovery sleep, which basically means sleeping more, actually reduces pain sensitivity. And this was actually only studied first in humans in 2012, which was, I know for some people it feels like a long time ago. For me, it feels like just yesterday. Um, But this was really cool. So what they did was they had just healthy volunteers and they basically figured out how much they slept on average, uh, using measurements of, of their sleep. And then they were randomized to either sleep their normal amount. So not sleep restriction, just their normal amount or four nights in a row of extended bedtime. So they basically had to spend 10 hours in bed. So what happens when they spent 10 hours in bed is they slept almost two hours more per night because most people are chronically sleep-deprived. So most people, if given 10 hours to sleep, will sleep that 10 hours. And then what they did was they then did a, one of the the heat ones, right? So it was a, how long does it take for you to remove your, in this case, it was just a finger, remove your finger from the, from the gradually warming pad of, of hot pain, and then measured that time. And what they showed was, Like compared to everybody's baseline, when you took the people and gave them 10 hours a night in bed, they had way substantially increased pain tolerance. So they were able to hold their hand on that gradually warming heat pad of pain for much longer than they were before the four days or than the other group who just continued to have their habitual sleep. And so this has been followed up on. There's been tons of other studies, enough so that last year there was a systematic review that looked at all of the different understandings of how sleep is related to pain sensation. And what's fascinating, kind of pulling from all of these other studies, is that studies show that eight hours isn't really enough to normalize pain processing. So if you take a person and restrict their sleep, so that means they're sleeping, they're just not getting enough sleep, um, and so that can take different forms in different studies. So some studies will restrict that to four or five or six hours. Some people will look at habitual uh, sleep deprivation. So just the fact that you're you're going to bed later than ideal and you're waking up to an alarm, right? That's a very norm in our society. Um, but what they've shown is that when you do this kind of recovery sleep to... Um, basically reverse these hyperalgesic effects. So you want to normalize how that person is perceiving a pain stimulus that actually it takes one or two nights of unrestricted recovery sleep to really normalize it. So that means one or two nights of sleep as much as your body needs. Wake up whenever is natural for you. When you restrict your recovery sleep to eight hours a night, basically at this point, Studies can say two hours is not sufficient to reset those those changes in how we perceive pain and we don't know exactly how long it would take to reset those changes. Um, studies also show that the deep sleep that we get in the first half of the night is very, very important for that process and that might be one of the reasons why eight hours isn't enough because there's we because we tend to get, more deep sleep in the first half of the night, more REM sleep in the second half of the night. There's also an effect where if we go to bed late, what our bodies think of as the first half of the night gets constricted. So you tend to get less deep sleep and more REM sleep because uh, it's that like one hour before midnight equals two hours after midnight type idiom. It's not exactly true, but there is some scientific grain of truth to that, that when you go to bed more in sync with the sun, you're going to have what's called a healthier sleep architecture, which means that your cycling through the phases of sleep is more normal, and that more normal involves getting most of your deep sleep, again, in the first half of the night, most of your REM sleep in the second half of the night. So that normal sleep architecture seems to be really important for how we process pain. There also seems to be a mechanism here that is likely through opioid receptors, which is really interesting because studies have shown that opioids are more effective... At mitigating pain, when patients get enough sleep, and when patients are not getting enough sleep, the opioids don't work as well. So there's something something mechanistically really interesting there. Um, and then the other the other piece of it is that there seems to be so there's some other some other really important impacts. There seems to be certainly something happening with the central nervous system that's really important for how we perceive pain, but that actually the circadian rhythm aspect of this is also another mechanism behind how sleep relates to pain sensation. So it's, I think, really important to understand that, you know, step one is figure out sleep hygiene, uh, the sleep routine. One of the best things we can do to support good quality sleep is just have a grown-up bedtime and stick to it. Um, Sleeping on our regular schedule is really, really important. And we've talked about this actually on the show relatively recently. So because we have other things to to cover, I'm just going to point to some of what I think are probably our most helpful sleep shows relative to this particular aspect of sleep. So most recently in episode 397, we talked about practical tips for the sleep stress cycle because sleep and stress are so inextricably linked, we really need to work on both to support better quality sleep and a healthier stress response. In episode 408, we talked about insomnia. In episode 399, we talked about amber tinted glasses and how that can help entrench circadian rhythm. And actually, in episode 314, we talked about melatonin and the new studies showing a, a really impressive safety profile for melatonin, even for kids.
0: This podcast is sponsored by StoryWorth. Sarah, I feel like this is going to be so up our listeners alley because it speaks to both of us so much. Yes. StoryWorth is an online
1: service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It is a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter
0: most. This is the exact kind of gift I love to give. It's something that creates memories people can revisit. And I'm always looking for ideas for grandparents. They would love this. The premise of this is so cool. Honestly, it's a gift to be part of yourself. Every week, StoryWorth
1: emails your relative or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions you've never thought to ask, like... What's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out?
0: After one year, StoryWorth will compile all of your loved one's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations.
1: Because David and I aren't near our family, this is a great way to connect. Reading the weekly stories helps you to bond with loved ones no matter how near or far apart you are. And it's a great way to record family lore.
0: With StoryWorth, I am giving those I love most a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to StoryWorth.com slash WholeView and save $10 on your first purchase. That's StoryWorth.com slash WholeView to save $10
1: on your first purchase.
0: This show is sponsored by Raycon which happens to be the first that my kids have gone, Mom, they're sponsoring your podcast? Can I try the wireless earbuds? Yep, I can totally see that being a thing. Actually, I asked Matt to try them out for me. Actually, I asked Matt to try them for me because he works all day outdoors, sweating in the wind, moving his head around a lot. And while he doesn't listen to earbuds while he's driving and delivering the mail, because that would be unsafe, he loves listening to podcasts while sorting the mail. And he was legit impressed. The everyday earbuds are about half the size of the ones he normally uses. And the case is small enough for the key pocket in his jeans. It's like so tiny. Yet when he shook his head rapidly to test them out, they didn't move. So I think it's also really cool that they somehow have this like noise isolating fit that blocks out the loud warehouse noise that he said. So he was still able to hear things. I wholeheartedly
1: agree. I've used mine a bunch. They're super comfortable and the audio quality is amazing, like comparable to what you would get from other premium brands, except Raycon starts at half the
0: price. I think it's super cool that the new Everyday Earbuds come with three sound profiles to make everything you're listening to sound its best and just the right amount of bass. So there's a pure mode for podcasts so you can listen to us, a balanced mode for also podcasts but more things like maybe rock or heavy metal, um, and then a bass mode for hip-hop, EDM, reggae.
1: Raycon offers eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. There's also a built-in microphone, so you can take calls on your earbuds at the press of a button. Like when you're carrying groceries or on a long walk with a dog on leash
0: and don't want to take your phone out. These would make an awesome gift. Go to buyraycon.com slash today to unlock exclusive deals up to 20% off your Raycon order. But hurry! This offer is available for a limited time only, and you don't want to miss it. That's buyraycon.com slash wholeview
1: to unlock up to 20% off your Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash wholeview.
0: Okay, before we move on entirely from sleep, I do want to say as someone who has had chronic pain before, that as much as I wanted to sleep and might have been in bed for 10 hours that's no, probably not true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was having disrupted sleep because of the pain, right? So it's like this um, snowball of badness, as we might say, mm-hmm. to properly manage the pain. But the next thing that we're going to talk about was a game changer for me in terms of not just the way that the melatonin would relax me, like I no longer need melatonin if I take CBD before bed. Um, The CBD also seems to reduce, I can't say does because I haven't like physically tested on myself, but I know you're going to talk about the science of it having the ability to do this, reduces the inflammation as well as the actual pain itself, right? Because it's not just a temporary fix for me. If I'm having a, a pain flare and I use CBD, it's not like it just covers the pain the way, for example, an NSAID would. It also helps me like reduce that inflammation long-term so that the pain is less and less over time. Um, So I know we have had multiple CBD shows that people can go back to, but this is like the number one thing that I talk to when I hear from people who have chronic pain, especially, you know, I hear from people who have back pain because that was Uh, you know, something I personally experienced from injury. And I'm like, if you're not already taking quality CBD, like get on that step.
1: Yeah, it's actually really impressive how helpful CBD is, which is a compound in cannabis that is not the compound that has the, uh, high effects. So THC is the compound from cannabis that is responsible for the psychoactive properties. CBD is what also what we can get from hemp oil, so not THC. And we actually covered, we did an entire show on how CBD can be helpful for pain management. It was, get it, it was episode 420. I, I just, <laughs> I'm I'm never, I'm never going to be sad that we did that. Um, but to, to summarize, the uh, CBD works because the it, it interfaces with something called the endocannabinoid system. So this is a system inside our human bodies that uses uh, cannabinoids as signaling molecules. And CBD is a phytocannabinoid. So it is a similar molecule from a plant that interacts with that system. And what that system does is it actually regulates the interface between pain sensation and then both the emotional and physiological responses to that pain. So maladaptations to chronic pain, such as depression, anxiety, gastrointestinal issues, and insomnia are mediated through the system. So when CBD binds with endocannabinoid receptors, it modulates that system. So that has the net effect of reducing pain sensation, but also the other, right, the the emotional and physiological responses. So it can reduce anxiety, for example. It can improve sleep quality, for example. And then it also works through these anti-inflammatory and immune-modulatory pathways. So in fact, so far, CBD and just CBD without THC has been shown to reduce pain in sclerosis, spinal cord injury, brachial plexus injury, limb amputation, pain associated with kidney transplantation, fibromyalgia, and non-cancer chronic pain. And studies show that it doesn't even take a huge dose. So it's probably an individualized dose, probably something like 10 to 15 milligrams twice daily is a good place to start. But again, talk to your doctor, get a recommendation directly from your doctor. But there was a study in 2020 where they took... About 100 patients that had been using opioids for chronic pain for at least one year, they gave them 15 milligrams of CBD twice daily. Over half of the patient reduced or eliminated their opioid use within eight weeks after starting the CBD. And almost all of them, 94% of them reported quality of life improvements, which included better sleep and with some being able to eliminate anxiety and sleep medications as well. So that that study is just one of the, the most, to me, illustrative of how helpful CBD can be for pain management, even in the context of chronic pain. And again, we talked about it in depth in episode 420.
0: I think one of the things that was most helpful for me was moving past this idea of it being bad, right? Like we talked about this a lot on the show, but I just want to put this out there because I think it's super important. I had a security clearance before I was working from home when I worked in an office. And I had actually inquired about taking CBD because it had been recommended to me for pain and for anxiety and different things that we've talked about. And I was not able to take it. That had, you know, It goes against the rules for a security clearance, even though it's legal to purchase in all states because there's no THC in it if you're using one that's been properly tested and all that kind of stuff. But because of that, like my my brain was just like, no, that's you know, that's not for me. Like, I don't know. It felt taboo. But honestly, it's it's like, gosh, I don't know. So I like we're going to talk about turmeric. Like it's a it's a plant based anti-inflammatory that also has these other benefits and is not going to be giving the um it's not going to it's not going to give a high. So I, I, I don't know if there was like another word we could call it to just completely disassociate hemp and CBD from marijuana. But it is what it is at this point. You know, it's like it's like a plant has a petal and a leaf and a seed and they're all completely different and they, you know, have different impact, but they're from the same plant. Well, they're, they're actually from two
1: different cultivars. So, um, CBD oil is most typically derived from a low THC cultivar of hemp compared to THC based cannabis products. So, um, it would be like, um, if I was, it, it would be like the difference between like cabbage and broccoli, right? They're the same species of plant, but cabbage and broccoli feel like very different vegetables so that's kind of the same the same difference but you're consuming in the case of
0: cbd oil I and isolated oil cabbage got me feeling euphoric <laughs> yeah unlikely but cbd yeah.
1: is there instead of cabbage yes. for pain management yes
0: um okay so i mentioned making sure that if you are going to take CBD that you're using one I recommend is USDA organic that has published their third party testing and shows that there's no THC and they don't have any weird wonky ingredients right so we've shared that we both use one farm CBD products but there's there's lots of options out there, but just make sure that you're not like going to the bodega and buying something that Johnny down the street just made himself with a bunch of pesticides. Cause that's not going to help you out.
1: Yeah. And again, especially if, um, avoiding THC is really important to you, that's another really good reason to seek out a high quality brand. So they, there is a a very
0: big spectrum in quality out there. Yes. And if you want to learn more, we have done podcasts on this previously, like Sarah said, episode 420. But um even in the show notes of 420, we call back other episodes you can look into as well. So my next strategy
1: for what I, I'm gonna still put under this umbrella of natural pain management. I realize the word natural is kind of loaded, but I'm using it the way the word is meant to be used, uh, is turmeric. Turmeric is uh, an amazing little root. It is ground up and turned into a spice um, that has a, a very rich yellowy or even yellowy-orange color. And the thing that makes turmeric so special is a type of polyphenol called curcumin that has anti-inflammatory effects. And remember when we talked about cyclooxygenase, Stacy? Turmeric... Uh, and specifically curcumin, inhibits cyclooxygenase-2, the one that is really helpful for anti-inflammatory and analgesic effects, but not cyclooxygenase-1, which is the one we don't want to inhibit because it's so important for maintaining gut health. So there are some cyclooxygenase-2-specific inhibitor drugs out there, like Celebrex. They're all prescription medications. But this is why turmeric can or at least one of several reasons why turmeric can be seen as quite different from NSAIDs um, because most of the -the over-the-counter NSAIDs uh, are broad inhibitors of cyclooxygenase. So they inhibit the activity of all of the enzyme isoforms and not just the one that's actually okay to inhibit, which is cyclooxygenase 2. There's actually been studies that have compared curcumin, the active component in turmeric that's responsible for these effects, two prescription NSAIDs, in particular, uh, phenylbutazone in rheumatoid arthritis patients that were, um, and also people who were healing from a hernia surgery. And they found that curcumin was just as effective. So it's also something that's really unique in the plant kingdom in terms of having basically a comparable level of effect to drugs that you would buy at the pharmacy. But because it just inhibits cyclooxygenase 2, there's some really important things that happen. So first of all, it reduces the production of signaling molecules that are responsible for inflammation, and that also um, basically desensitizes different um, pain receptors. Um, So that becomes why it can be used as an analgesic. But because it's just inhibiting cyclooxygenase 2, it it doesn't have the negative effects on the gut barrier. And then there's like additional impacts. So curcumin is also a really powerful antioxidant and it actually supports the activity of antioxidant enzymes in our bodies, which is also really, really helpful. Um, It's actually manipulating some other some other really important enzymes. So like, it's increasing an enzyme called superoxide dismutase. It's uh, decreasing an enzyme called nitric oxide synthase. It's increasing glutathione peroxidase. So it is having a really beneficial impact on enzymes that are influencing not just uh, oxidation, but also inflammation because those things are, are linked inside the body. And there's been studies showing that curcumin can actually help restore gut barrier integrity, even after intestinal injury. Um, so there's even some studies showing that it can counteract the, the negative impact on the gut barrier that is caused by a sort of high, high fat, high refined sugar standard Western diet. So like super cool, but I will say that there are some really compelling reasons to take whole turmeric rather than a isolated curcumin supplement and that's because turmeric has lots of other really great things in it so um it has lots of other antioxidant polyphenols and there are some studies showing that there's a a window of curcumin use a dosage window that's really really helpful but once we get above that dosage it seems to tip into some potentially harmful effects there have been studies where doses of like 3.6 to eight grams of curcumin per day caused some GI side effects in participants. But turmeric is typically only about 3% curcumin per weight. So if you were going to have that much, like to cause problematic levels of turmeric, you'd be consuming like 13 tablespoons. (laughs) So, um, the type of turmeric supplements that are out there, um, are in that beneficial window of curcumin dosage, and it's going to be a lot harder to tip into too much curcumin by focusing on whole turmeric. It's also helpful to know that there are some cool things that you can take at the same time as turmeric. Often a turmeric supplement will have them already included, such as ginger and black pepper, as well as fats that help increase the absorption of, of curcumin and some of the other important phytonutrients in turmeric. So since Nicole's asking about the AIP, this is what I always share in my AIP lecture series, which is uh, we're doing a trade-off. So in this case, you know, black pepper is a phase one reintroduction food. It's technically not AIP, but this is a situation where, We're trading off for higher curcumin absorption for better pain management. And unless you are overtly intolerant to black pepper, that's a good trade-off, right? The AIP is about understanding all the ins and outs so that you can personalize it for yourself. And this is one of those personalization opportunities.
0: I think it's um, fascinating to see, I hadn't realized how conclusive the science was on the inhibitors like the one and two inhibitors and how supportive the sciences, in particular for turmeric on block like how that works that that mm-hmm. function is super interesting to me um because i had always assumed and you know what they say about assuming um that turmeric like cinnamon for example is anti-inflammatory and that that's why in particular it is recommended so i'm I'm going to assume that we can extrapolate that something like cinnamon isn't a bad thing, but it's not going to have the same effect and that there wouldn't be like other superfoods in the same category that could potentially be doing the same thing or else you'd be telling us about them.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's correct. So um, curcumin is part of a class of non-flavonoid polyphenols that are found in turmeric called curcuminoids. And there's not just curcumin, there's demethoxycurcumin, I might or might not be pronouncing that correctly, and bisdemethoxycurcumin, it's a big long word. Um so there's other there's other phytonutrients in this family with very non-memorable names. Um and they all kind of have these analgesic and anti-inflammatory effects combined as well as being really important antioxidants, but they're pretty special, right? They are um, at this point, the the only source that we know of is turmeric., um, but cinnamon contains uh, a different class of non-flavonoid polyphenols called coumarins, which do have some analgesic properties. Um, they're not quite as powerful as curcuminoids, Um, but there is some research actually showing that cinnamon can be really helpful for menstrual cramps. so it's it's not that other foods are, uh, don't have these potential beneficial properties. It's just that the amounts that you're going to have to eat for a notable pain management impact are going to be much higher. But what's cool is a lot of these work through different mechanisms. So for example, the coumarins and cinnamon do partially inhibit cyclooxygenase too, but they also inhibit nitric oxide synthase and increased superoxide dismutase so those are benef- beneficial changes in enzymes and they also reduce inflammatory mediators like TNF alpha and interleukin 1 beta so that's that's really helpful so you know cinnamon cinnamon might be helpful in this as well um there's some other cool phytonutrients that have pain relieving properties so uh beta cariole is a, a sequesterpine which is a type of terpenoid that is found in black pepper and cloves and rosemary and a few other, um, herbs, which is why like cloves especially have some pain relieving properties. And that's also why you often see those ingredients mixed with turmeric is because they're, uh, synergistic. Um, there is a type of natural monophenol called, um, dilapioli, which is found in dill and fennel that has some pain-relieving properties. Uh, thymol, which is uh, was the first identified in thyme, but is also in like oregano and marjoram, also has some analgesic properties. And even actually there's some analgesic properties to anthocyanins and anthocyanins, which are the flavonoids that give most purple vegetables their color. But I'm I'm still not saying that eating a head of, of purple cabbage or a whole pile of blackberries is going to have the same kind of impact on pain as turmeric.
0: As you were talking, I was like daydreaming about how back in the day they would like send the kid in the village to find the herb to save mm-hmm. the person. And I'm like, this... This is what we're doing right now, <laughs> we're like we're finding all the all the natural herbs to help and it's cool to hear you say it, but also like this is this is what medicine was before modern medicine, and it's it's fascinating to hear that humans discovered this information before we well understood the science on it, and that there is science to support what people were literally gathering in the fields in the woods to help aid people I just yeah no and what's interesting.
1: what's cool is going to the full other side of that you know expansion of of science to um, all of the research that's being done trying to isolate the compounds in medicinal herbs right I mean even though these are culinary herbs a lot of them are medicinal as well and then trying to like find what the compound or group of compounds are that are responsible for the benefits. And then, I mean, there's a whole field of science trying to turn those into pharmaceuticals. For me, I I just think it gives me a deeper appreciation for why a, you know, veggie-rich diet uh, with lots of, you know, fruits and, you know, using herbs and spices liberally, like, why that's beneficial. It's because totally. these phytonutrients are so cool.
0: Phytonutrients yeah. are cool. I want to specify um the turmeric that i've tried is paleo valleys and i Mm -hmm. know they have um the black pepper and ginger in it but do you is that the dosage that um you were specifically talking about yep
1: it is a fantastic supplement it also has rosemary and cloves Uh, super high quality, as is everything from Paleo Valley. So that is the one that I take when I need turmeric for fibromyalgia pain, for sure.
0: Cool. This podcast is sponsored by Third Love. This holiday season, give the gift of comfort with Third Love. We've mentioned loving Third
1: Love and their fitting room quiz and comfortable undergarments before, but we need to have a moment for the loungewear.
0: Oh, my goodness, for real. My holiday wish list this year has loungewear at the top. Third Love makes the softest sleepwear luxe washable silk and bras that you won't want to take off when you get home. Or if you're like me, just the whole time you're home. (laughs) I have my eye on a quilted hoodie and jogger that I totally want and robes. I don't know about you, but 2021 became the year of the robe for me. Like time has lost all meaning and sometimes mama needs to run around the house quickly.
1: I also love that they give back. As the largest donor of undergarments in the U.S., they've donated over $40 million worth to people in need.
0: Yes, and they offer so many options and are size inclusive. I love that their focus is on comfort. Their tagline, you fit here, makes me happy.
1: I took their online fitting room quiz, and it didn't take very long, but it is so cool that it can help you figure out your true size from home. I loved the fit of the bras and underwear I got.
0: Same. I wear the seamless, wireless, adjustable bras I got all the time. Feeling is believing. Upgrade to everyday
1: pieces that love your body as much as you do. Right now, you can get 20% off your first
0: order at thirdlove.com slash wholeview. That's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash wholeview. This show is sponsored by Public Goods, the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price.
1: Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food, Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer.
0: I am super picky about personal and home cleaning products. I've investigated more brands than I can count, and I am super excited to share Public Goods with our listeners. They are genuinely making affordable, safer products For example, their hand soap is better than any brand I could find at local box stores and squeaky clean, free of synthetic fragrance, which is so hard to find, as well as parabens, SLS, phthalates, and anything derived from formaldehyde. I also
1: love the clean look of their environmentally friendly, sustainable packaging. I've been loving their cleaning products. The Jasmine Multipurpose Cleaner and the Dish Soap are my favorite. Recently, though, I've also been trying some of their food items like the avocado oil, which is now my go-to. It is so good. I think what I'm saying is I love all their products.
0: <laughs> I love that they ethically source and develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and potentially harmful additives found in common marketplaces. They are committed to making products healthy and safe for humans, animals, and the environment. And because they use a membership model, it keeps costs low to pass on even more savings.
1: And we got you all an awesome deal just for our listeners. Receive $15 off, that's one five dollars off your first public goods order, with no minimum purchase.
0: That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. You have nothing to lose. So go to publicgoods.com
1: slash or use coupon code wholeview at checkout. That's dot com forward slash whole to receive $15 off your first order.
0: All right. I know there are kind of a, a billion things maybe we could talk about, but the, th- the third main thing that we've got here is one of the shows that blew my mind the most in terms of how incredibly strong the science was to support pain management um, because I remember it was at a time where I needed pain management. I was in a back flare and you were like, Stacy, are you using your red light therapy? And I was like, jaw to the ground, dope. I was I was just feeling like I was a noob who knew nothing until you informed me of how incredible it was and how helpful it is. So, I'm excited for you to kind of like remind listeners on some of the science because it also came up in our Q&A on the Patreon where we were talking about like the different sizes and how how it can be made affordable too because it is an investment and so I think that it's important for someone to understand like okay, if I'm making this investment for myself, for my pain, for my health, is the science really there to support that it has this, um, you know, potential for amazing benefits?
1: Yeah. So I think red and near-infrared light therapy is an incredible strategy for reducing inflammation and for pain management. And we did talk about it extensively. I think episode 315 is probably our our best deep dive into the science behind how it works. But we'll summarize. So Very specific wavelengths of light cause what's called a photochemical reaction, which means a reaction driven by photons or light within our cells. And that's because our cells have these structures in our mitochondria called chromosphores, which are actually super cool, responsible for a molecule's color, but they absorb photons from specific wavelengths of light that causes electrons to jump into a higher energy orbit. I'm I'm sure I'm causing all kinds of flashbacks to high school chemistry right now. But then that energy is in our mitochondria, which are our energy factories inside our cells. And that energy can basically be translated into cellular energy and used for cellular tasks, right? All the different things that our cells do to keep our cells healthy, to contribute to the organ or biological system that they're important for. And because those cells have this energy to do stuff, that has this amazing translation to all kinds of other benefits to our health. Like it's it's a huge effect. So just shining these specific wavelengths of red and infrared light on our cells can increase cellular metabolism by up to 200% that has amazing benefits and that's why red and near infrared light therapy have been shown to improve the like look and appearance of skin um, and be helpful for a lot of skin conditions they've been shown to improve oral health improve muscle recovery after workout improve sleep quality improve mental mental health reduce anxiety right regulated the stress response enhance thyroid health reduce joint pain reduce inflammation speed Wound recovery, I mean, just all kinds of things that are basically just come out of improving cellular health and giving the cells energy to do cool stuff. So there have been a huge variety of studies showing red and near infrared wavelengths can reduce pain in the context of fibromyalgia, chronic back pain, chronic neck pain, joint pain from injury, joint pain from arthritis, including both osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis, pain from orthodontic procedures, pain from cancer. Uh, TMD disorders, uh, systemic sclerosis, sciatica, diabetic neuropathy, even burning mouth syndrome, which I don't know very much about, but the name speaks for itself. Um, and there have been studies um, that now that are ongoing in other painful chronic conditions like multiple sclerosis. So it it's actually really, really impressive how many ways the right wavelengths of light can benefit us. And the reason why I keep saying that is because there's a lot of devices on the market. Stacy and I both use Juve, Red and Near Infrared Light Therapy, and that's because it is the device that is the direct to consumer d- device, not a medical device. So it's something that you can have in your home that has that sweet spot of exactly the right wavelengths of light um, and also. The right irradiance. um, So it's also giving the right dose of light. um, So it is the right amount of power to have that therapeutic response. And that is not provided by a lot of the other devices that are out there. Um, So it really is, it really is important to make sure that you are doing the research and have those, you know, really good very specific near-infrared, right, 850 nanometers-ish, red, 650, 660 nanometers-ish wavelengths of light at a really high level of power so that you can, you know, spend 10 minutes in front of your light therapy device like a Juve and receive those kinds of benefits.
0: And because Nicole's question is specific about osteoarthritis, I think it's worth mentioning one of the studies that we dove into on that show was about arthritis patients. And I know you mentioned, you know, that there are studies, but I would definitely go back and listen to that show because that was the one that really perked my ears up when we were doing that show about, like, uh, we gave information about them using it for like 15 minutes in the morning and then it like reduced their pain. But I think they said like 80 or 90% that I don't yeah. like, you know, remember I don't the remember the exact the numbers either, but
1: they it were was, impressive.
0: it was incredible. It wasn't just like, there's some studies showing some can maybe help. It was like it, I remember just being blown away. So definitely go back and, and dig into that. Um, one of the questions I do want to ask though, specific, especially as it relates to joint pain was about collagen. So as someone who has had joint issues and um, has arthritis in my family, collagen has been huge in my pain reduction. So we talked about kind of the, you know, three main options. And I was surprised when I was going through the show notes that collagen hadn't come up. Because I remember when I first started adding it as a supplement years and years ago, that I noticed that my knees stopped popping when I walked. I remembered specifically there was a hallway at work that didn't have any like doors or anything on it. It was like very echoey door uh, like hallway. And when I would walk down that hallway, I would hear the echoing of my knees popping. And I started doing, I started to, you know, adding collagen in as a supplement. And no longer heard it. Like, I hadn't even realized that they weren't popping until I was walking down the hallway one day and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, and that's when I started uh, kind of becoming the bone broth lady because <laughs> I, before I was even 30 years old, had bones that were snap, crackle, popping all the time. And I saw, you know, I had uh, scoliosis when I was in middle school, saw a chiropractor through high school. Um, and had never felt the alleviation of the pain in my joints like I did until I was doing collagen. And so, I mean, Sarah, when you and I were on tour, people would bring me broth to the events because they knew how much I was like obsessed with bone broth and collagen. And, you know, when I travel especially, I try to make sure that I have it um, because other things are going to cause inflammation and joint pain. Um but anyway, I have this
1: vivid memory of you chugging broth before so we went through security good. in the airport. Yes. Because, because it was such good broth. Homemade and broth. Homemade and you didn't want to waste it and you want to make sure, you, but we couldn't go through TSA <laughs> with it. Um, yeah, that was
0: that was yep. an amazing tour. Yeah. Um, and shout out to yeah. the person in Chicago and Canada who brought me homemade broth because both of you were amazing. Thank you so much. Um, but anyway, I just wondered if maybe it was worth an honorable mention um, to have a nerd out moment because that would have been on my top three list for bone. Pain. Yeah,
1: 100 percent. So collagen can be super beneficial if we're t- in the context of um, joint pain specifically. And there's even been studies showing that it can be beneficial in osteoarthritis. So in this case, it's not so much an analgesic effect so much as a supporting joint health effect. So as I was putting together the podcast, I really wanted to focus on things that, um, changed pain sensation, right? So they, they reduce pain specifically, whereas with collagen, you're actually improving joint health in the, And that can be helpful in the context of degrading joints or joint inflammation being the source of that pain. So, again, you know, this is all of the things that we're talking about for pain management are above and beyond healthy diet and lifestyle to ideally address root causes It's all above and beyond working with a functional or integrative medicine practitioner in order to, again, sort of get into root causes. Um, So when we're talking about the root cause of osteoarthritis, which is part of Nicole's question, very good thing to bring in is the conversation about collagen. So there was a study in people with mild to moderate knee osteoarthritis that showed that just 10 grams of collagen a day for twenty four weeks, actually showed enough improvement to joints that they were able to measure it on an MRI. So this was not a subjective measurement. They actually measured cartilage quality on an MRI and saw that it actually improved um, improved over that short period of time with a that's ten grams is a very modest dose of collagen. Um and collagen in general is really helpful for bone health, skin health, muscle health, connective tissue health in general, which we talked about in depth in episode 430. So I definitely want to point Nicole and all of our listeners um, to episode 430, where we, uh, I think we did approximately the deepest dive ever on collagen <laughs> in that show. Yes, we did. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but that is that is an excellent point um, to to bring us back, not just to the root of Nicole's pain of osteoarthritis, but but more broadly to that last piece of, you know, all of these strategies for pain management, other than maybe working on sleep, because working on sleep is going to be beneficial to everything. Um, but it, these are all approaches to get, um, right, to interfere with that snowball of badness effect, especially when we're talking about the sleep pain cycle, where pain is keeping you from sleeping well and not sleeping well is magnifying pain. So having these other strategies to be able to, to Uh, stop that and get the good sleep. So then that can normalize pain sensation. And then that can make it easier to make diet and lifestyle changes for Nicole, right? That can make it easier to implement the AIP because it's really, really hard to make diet changes when you're sleep deprived. Being sleep deprived just makes everything seem harder just in general. So being able to address pain in order to sleep well is going to just have a snowball of goodness effect. So bringing that all back into a cohesive conversation around like, let's let's not use these natural pain management strategies as a replacement for doing the other work that needs to be done in terms of living a, a healthy lifestyle and eating a healthy diet, but know that it can be a tool to make all of the other changes feel doable because- as you said at the top of the show, Stacy, pain is a stressor and being able to remove that stressor can make other choices that might have seemed daunting seem very doable.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you kind of re-mentioned that because I, I just want to reiterate, if you've gotten to the end of the show and you're doing all of these things and you're in pain, take medicine. Like the stress of chronic pain on the body can have exponential negative repercussions beyond just what we've noted in the gut or, you know, to other things. And I think for me, I struggled for over a year with debilitating back pain, like not able to live my life. We had a show talking about coming out of my depression with back pain, but we never even talked about how bad it was during that time because it was a really dark time that challenged my marriage. It, you know, it was difficult for me to work. I made, I still recall making a really big mistake, um, at work because I was in pain and I was inattentive to my usual standards. And, um, there was just a lot of things that happened because i was in that chronic pain and i was trying to avoid medication and i was so afraid that i was letting the fear lead me and so i finally when i did decide okay i i i really got to got to address this um and i got help for the pain i was able to then do the physical therapy because I wasn't in as much pain. And then once I was able to do the physical therapy, I was able to do more supportive activities like swim. And then I could, because my body was in a better state, transition into something like CBD and collagen almost exclusively. So I think I've had about, you know, half a dozen flares in about that many years since my injury and am... So, like they thought that I would need surgery and I'm at what they define as like 90%. And they thought I they could only get me to 80% with surgery. So wow. my point is just don't, don't be afraid of medication thinking that, you know, it's going to ruin everything because I look at the trajectory of like what my life was like when I was trying to avoid medication versus, okay, I'm going to be strategic. I'm going to talk to my doctor. I'm going to explain I have an autoimmune disease. I don't want to be on NSAIDs for a long period of time. What can we do? And we came up with a strategy that really did work for me. And so, you know, I just, I want to encourage people to, to not be in pain. Like it's just, it's not worth yeah. it. Um. And, you know, we talked about how incredibly hard chronic stress is on show 479. And that is what pain is, right? Like chronic pain is chronic stress. And so if we look, if I look at, compare chronic stress to NSAIDs in terms of like what it can do to your health, that's why I made the decision that I did like, okay, I'm going to talk to my doctor about what I can do to medicate because the chronic stress long-term is much worse for me, like the pain long-term and and how it was impacting my life. But um, I know you've had your own journey with pain as well with your fibromyalgia, which is always a word I struggle with, um, diagnosis kind of later in life and and all of that kind of stuff as well.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, for me, fibromyalgia is my very first thing to flare when I'm doing anything that's not perfectly optimal. So whether that's stress or I didn't sleep perfectly well the night before or I overdid it at the gym or I ate too much sugar or I ate a tomato, uh, you know, the, it's it's the very first sign for me that, uh, you know, my my body's starting to become inflamed. It's kind of nice to have something that gives you that early warning bell. And at the same time, it's really annoying to have something that gives you that early like warning bell. Um, but I think that for me, I use all of the above strategies. And that is, I think, a a really great place to wrap up this show is one of the reasons why I pulled all of these together for Nicole and for our listeners is they each work through a different mechanism, right? So getting enough sleep, CBD, turmeric, and red and near infrared light therapy, they can be layered atop of each other. And also some people might find a combination, one or two, I mean, everyone's going to find sleep cell phone. That's just That's just going to be across the board. But out of the other strategies, something might work better for you as an individual or a combination of two out of the three might work better for you as an individual. And so I think it's really helpful to emphasize they work through different mechanisms. So the effects are additive. And um, that's a really great thing because you can't say that, right? You can't take a and a leave and then also take an advil and expect the effects to be additive because they work through the same mechanisms. So that's one of the other I think really empowering things about thinking about pain management in this more holistic and natural way is we have a lot of tools that we can use and there's also right tools outside of this right that are situation dependent like collagen might be or like something like physical therapy or therapeutic massage or chiropractic adjustment, right? There's a lot of other things that might also fit into your personal pain management sort of repertoire. So, uh, as we talk about, you know, medication, not being failure and talking to your doctor, I also encourage you to explore some of the other alternatives out there that might be appropriate for your specific situation so that you can get out of the snowball of badness that that snowball of badness is the 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 part to avoid. We want the snowball of goodness, the good snowball.
0: <laughs> and I hope that if you're listening to the show that you've been inspired to maybe try something new if you're if you're struggling with this and genuinely help yourself feel your best because we all deserve to feel good in the skin that we're in. No one ever needs to be in pain. And I'm said should be in pain, but um, honestly, nobody's judging you. It's just, you deserve to feel good, period, everybody, <laughs> all the time. Um, and there are strategies to support that, both that you can do, lifestyle wise, supplement wise, as well as, you know, modern medicine wise. And I think if nothing else, I appreciate being more aware of NSAIDs. I think for me, learning about it and then coming to like that kind of neutral zone with my back injury is now when I take it, I know that Like, I understand kind of the risk that I'm taking, and I use quotation marks when I use the word risk, but, you know, we all read, like, the side effects and warnings and the sign of a bottle and don't really quite understand the mechanisms or the reality or the likelihood. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, all that kind of stuff, and I think, for me, knowing that information, you know, I'll say to myself, do I really need that, or why don't I just take you know extra CBD and see how that'll help or you know oh it's really time for me to get into the water like the pool hot tub something like that and mm-hmm. you know like learning more about myself and my body but also knowing that like if i'm on vacation and we're you know walking dozens of miles on roller coaster parks and stuff like that and i come back at the end of the day and my back is done and i know that if I don't take an actual pain pill that I'm not going to be able to enjoy the vacation day with my family the next day, I'm going to take the pill. Like, you know what I mean? That's just kind of like, okay, this is the choice that I'm making. So I think we all need to come to like an understanding and and when you're in like strict AIP, especially versus, you know, kind of integrating some other things and you know what i like, all of that, I think it's, it's a different kind of journey that you're on and needing to come to your own balance in life without feeling like feeling that guilt right I'm just I think that's Mm -hmm. where I'm going with this is like nobody needs to feel guilt about what they need to feel good but understanding the why and the how and working with a medical professional to try to optimize is what we're trying to support
1: Well, I hope this show was helpful. I hope the science was uh, (laughs) nerd-tastic. I know it always is for me. And I hope this helps Nicole and any of our listeners who sometimes need some other strategies for pain management or all the time need some other strategies for pain management um so we're going to go continue this conversation over on our Patreon where we share bonus audio every single week and share what we really thought about a topic. <laughs> so we hope to see you over there and otherwise we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. We love providing the whole view podcast for you as a free resource. You can support the show by using the links and codes we share in our podcast. And we love to read your reviews and chats wherever you listen.
0: And don't forget to share our podcast with your friends and family. Speaking of chat, did you know that you can get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon? When you support us with your Patreon membership, you get access to live Q&As and weekly bonus audio. But they're not for kids' ears because our bonus content is explicit. You can also stay in touch with us via our social media channels. I'm at Real Vlog, And
1: I'm at the Paleo Mom. And we've got more great resources on our websites and in our newsletters.
0: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death